Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper, and TireRack.com. Your podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and hello and welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 292. We're glad to have you with us. Hey, before we get started, if you're wondering how to watch full episodes of MotorWeek, the series is broadcast from coast to coast on your local PBS channel through our cable partner, MAV-TV, and on any mobile or streaming device by downloading the PBS app. So, good to know. Mm-hmm. On today's podcast, Jessica Ray, Alex Kellum, and Stephen Truitt, and we're going to wrap through three different vehicles. One of them we're going to save for towards the end. We've got a lightning round, a viewer question, and we'll see if anybody's got a rant and rave about something they've seen on a new model lately. We're going to start with the 2023 Alfa Romeo Stelvio Estrema. Alex, a new version of the... Um, Yes. You want to take us through it? What is it? Why do we care? And how did it perform? (laughs) Can do. All right. So let's get the most important piece of information out of the way first. Estrema means extreme in Italian. Oh, wow. Yeah. Even the illiterate. (laughs) This is the hard hitting journalism I went to school for. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. So Stelvio has existed in the U.S. for five years, as we know. Um, But the Estrema is new for 2023. It is a, to my understanding, a limited edition. Mm -hmm. It builds off of the Veloce. I hope I'm pronouncing these right. And the Quadrifolio, which is the Quadrifolio is the top of the line so this kind of slots between those two models okay so um, it's not really a new extreme uh no okay. no no <laughs> no uh, but this does get like adaptive suspension and a limited slip differential so it builds on performance uh, more in the the handling sort of uh, realm when it comes to the actual engine it's actually sharing the same one with the veloce which i think is the same one used for all three of the the beginning trims. So you're getting some of the Quadrifolio's hardware. Yeah, yeah, you're getting, and you're without getting without the engine, and I guess mm-hmm. without the price. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, that's actually something I'm going to touch on. Um, uh, but yeah, so you're getting like a firmer suspension. It's more fine-tuned. They say it was tuned in conjunction with their F1 team, which I mean that's pretty gnarly. If that is true, and I assume it is, uh, it's in. Two-liter turbocharged inline four. We're talking 280 horsepower and 306 pound-feet of torque. That is a far cry from the Quadrifolio's V6, which is 505 horsepower. But it's also a far cry from the price. Uh, the um, Wow, it's escaping me. Estrema is starting uh, around 60 grand, you know, give or take, and the. Uh, Quadrifolio is closer to ninety thousand dollars. So you are, Whoa. yeah, definitely some savings there. Um, all-wheel drive, eight-speed automatic. Uh, just kind of get that out of the way. And of course, looking at it, it has that Alfa Romeo style. It's gorgeous. You it's know? still a gorgeous vehicle. It's got that inverted kind of triangle grill with the, like the lower side mm-hmm. pockets and everything. The headlights that stream back um, to kind of give the uh, viewer or listener, I should say, a little bit of a comparison point. Uh, overall length, 184 inches, uh, 74 inches wider, well, basically 75, and a wheelbase of 111 inches. That kind of puts it in the realm uh, or the neighborhood of the CRV. So compact, um, a big Yeah, compact. a CRV being 185 inches long, 73 and a half inches wide, and on a 106 inch wheelbase. So that kind of gives you an idea of where it's at. Um, the interior, very uh, race inspired, carbon fiber, red stitching, so you know it's fast <laughs> and uh, very sporty. Um, but enough about what it looks like. How does it feel to drive? It's fun. 
It's got a little bit more pep than I kind of thought it would. It was stiff. Yeah, very yeah, stiff, but like in a good way. Like I never once mm. felt uncomfortable. And of course, mm. the the drive modes, the dynamic drive modes, or DNA, I think they call it. Yeah, DNA mm. drive modes. You know, you can kind of soften it up a little bit, make it feel a little bit better, uh, given your circumstances. But yeah, no, very uh, very sporty. Um, of course, we didn't have 500 horsepower to play with, but I thought you know 300 was fine. 300, you know, you know uh, two liter, 300 out of a two liter yeah. uh, turbo mm -hmm. is, is or close to it. That's nothing. It's impressive. Yeah. yeah. It feels good. Um, I liked uh, the only thing about the, uh, the driving experience I wasn't too keen on, uh, it was the transmission and, and specifically it was going between like reverse and drive stuff like that. It just, it, wasn't as snappy as I wanted it to be, but I think that really speaks volumes to the way the actual like shifting experience, like when you're in drive, going through all eight gears felt because it was seamless. It felt very good, um, especially with those. Uh, I don't know if they were magnesium or not, but the column mounted uh, paddle shifters. They were that, fun. That's they were very nice. Italian. You know, I loved it. Column instead of the steering wheel. So yeah, it's a, it's a premium interior. Um, I think the infotainment could use a little bit of updating personally, mm -hmm. but outside of that, I mean, like I said, you get the carbon fiber, the red stitching, the Harman Kardon like sound system. I mean, you get all that. And again, you're not paying quadrifolio price. You know, you don't see that many of them. It's quite a beautiful vehicle. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Um, I mean, one thing you, I like about it a lot. You spent days shooting it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, the one gripe I do have, like we mentioned how cool and nice the paddle shifters are, I found them to be almost too close to the steering wheel hover, though. Like when I was holding it at 9 and 3, like any you were sort running of into it. Of, yeah, like my back of really? my fingers were interesting. hitting it. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. You don't have that big of hands either. Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> and... Huh. But I did like the the way the seats felt as well. Um, it was pretty flat in corners. Um, I was actually coming back with um, Dave Scrivener um, from picking up the, that Buick Riviera for the stand-up shoot right. we had. Mm -hmm. And through some back roads, it, it handled its own pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And you know how yeah. Dave drives. <laughs> it's an alpha. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't spend, like, uh, that much time in it, but uh, the time that I did spend, it was... Very, very comfortable. And you know, it's interesting to do that Chrysler just said last week that they were doing a review of all of their brands. And mm. the Chrysler brand and the Alpha brand, I think a lot of people have thought is on the cusp of not sure if they're going to be here in five years. Mm. But they've actually said that uh, last week that all of the brands are performing quite well. Mm. And I'm glad to see it because I really think it would be a tragedy for one of the premier and really pure performance brands alpha if any if they somehow became uh, either went away or became marginalized i'm glad to see it and i think the silvio is a really interesting vehicle so mm -hmm. for sure mm. let's move on to something that basically is almost at the other end of the suv class and this is the 2023 mitsubishi outlander phev and this is the follow-up to the long-term phev that that we had. Mm -hmm. So, Stephen, this vehicle has been, everybody's been waiting for it. You know, the, the original PHEV uh, Outlander did so well, even though it was kind of a dated design. Mm -hmm. This has been brought forward. Was it worth waiting for? Um, personally, I think yes. Um, you know, going into the trip, I was down in Franklin, Tennessee for the driving event uh, last week, and I didn't really know how to get into it too much initially. I mean, the only Outlander experience I had had was our recent long-term mm -hmm. internal combustion right. Outlander that we had. Um, so, I mean, I will say Mitsubishi knows that, like, they are to an extent like a forgotten brand. And, you know, with all the other competition, you know, they say, like, 
while we acknowledge that there is serious competition, this has actually been one of their, you know, better selling yes, models. Yes, it has. seen a lot on the road. Yeah, a whole <laughs> lot. Um, so Mitsubishi went into this whole thing. Um, there was two Japanese words that they used. It was uh, Ifu Dodo, or I'm sorry, Ifu Dodo. <laughs> My apologies. And Omatanashi. Um, Ifu Dodo uh, pretty much just means four things: toughness, confidence, quality, uh, with strong and smooth acceleration. And Omatanashi was referring to hospitality, mainly throughout the interior. Mm. Um, now I should point out this is the plug-in hybrid. This version. is the plug-in hybrid. Okay. Yes. This is the follow-on to the ICE version. Correct, yes. Um, and ultimately, they're, interior and exterior-wise, there's not that many differences. Like sure. exterior, just a couple badges on the uh, driver's front and passenger front doors, um, I believe on the tailgate as well. Um, on the inside, a couple buttons made a difference, but it felt like the exact same as our long-term tester that we had earlier this year. Um, so, I mean, we can talk about a little bit about the uh, powertrain. Um, so, it's one internal combustion motor, of course. It's a 2.4-liter Atkinson cycle motor along with three electric motors. Three electric motors. Three electric wow. motors. Wow. That's correct. actually, that's a lot for a plug-in hybrid. It is. And the, yeah. the one located in the back drives solely the rear the rear end. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Um, so, you know, they, they are available now. They just delivered their first unit a few weeks ago. Um, so, the... Total horsepower, it's uh, 248 horsepower, 332 pound-feet of torque. Um, referring to the battery pack, it's a 20, 20 kilowatt hour bat battery pack, and that's up from 13.8 on the previous gen. Mm -hmm. um, 38 mile electric range, that's up from 24. Um, total range is 420, uh, 64 MPGE, 26 MPG on the um, gas motor oh, yeah. and then the uh you know that's compared to the internal combustion motor on the uh just normal outlander that's 348 miles um hmm. dc fast charging is available uh 38 minutes that's will get you up to 80 percent that's very See, interesting this is where automakers mitsubishi good for you you <laughs> have figured out what the answer for most people yeah. to electrified vehicles is and mm -hmm. that is a good reliable plug-in hybrid with mm -hmm. enough range to get you to and from work mm -hmm. during the day and to be able to take advantage of ultra-fast charging. I mean, it can't take more than 10 minutes yep. to charge it up at a fast charge. It actually is, um, It's well, depending on what your range is. Yeah. Like, of course, you can only go 80 I guess from, I guess. like, you know, let's say 5% yeah. just because right. you're running it down to 80, it takes 38 minutes. Really? I'm yes. surprised it's that long. Yeah. Huh. Um, Must be, um, uh, it, well, it seems complicated, but yeah. with... Uh, battery technology, preconditioning, yeah. yeah. all sorts yeah. of things, uh, the size of the battery. Yeah. But even it's there, you're able to basically drive it, plug it in at home and into a, a, a level two charger and have more than enough time overnight mm -hmm. to but drive it. It does have regenerative braking. Okay. Um, yeah. has what they call the innovative pedal. Right. Um, so we actually, on our driving route, coming home back to the hotel, um, we wound up hitting zero electric range so we threw it into the regen mode and i want to say in the last like 20 miles ish of the drive we got it back up to around 15 to 20 miles let me tell you hmm. why this is so important the the automakers some of the automakers have been telling everybody that trying to get back to at least 50 miles worth of range on a phev was going to be very difficult lots of weight big size, yada, yada, even though Chevrolet did it with the Volt and exceeded mm -hmm. that. 
Because the California standards, as they roll out, they're going to leave this 20% of the market still there where you can have a PHEV, but it's got to have a 50-mile range. And it, to, this is a, a, a mid-size, mm-hmm. I think, size vehicle. It does so have three rows. It does have it three does, rows, yes. but it's not suburban. It's not even Palisade no. size. It's still based also on the Nissan Rogue. Correct. Although I think when, when we had the the uh, ICE version, we really didn't see a whole lot of similarities besides the interior. I, think, I thought it was nicer. Yeah, <laughs> I thought actually, it drove way I, nicer. I <laughs> Did they did any have you heard anything of whether Nissan's going to bring out a similar model? I they did there was no mention I'm sure of they that wouldn't. While they were there. I <laughs> no, I haven't anything. I haven't heard anything yeah. that, that Nissan would take advantage of that. If they allow them, that would be good for them if they allow them to at least have it to themselves for a while. You know, I mean I I will say in general I was very impressed with the vehicle, yeah. you know. Um Do you feel heavy? At all? It, I noticed a little bit, yeah. So it is about 440 pounds heavier, yeah, it's um, and it's with about the battery pack and the motor in the rear, I, I did make a note of it, and I'm going to talk about it in the first drive video um, when I get around to throwing that together. You could feel it, good grip. Mm-hmm. It felt flatter in corners, and ultimately, I have zero complaints about that vehicle once whatsoever. <sighs> We spent a lot of time in the previous generation. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> we had it for 21 months. I hope we can get one for like another long time. That'd be, nice That'd be awesome. To do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we ought to move along. We're going to spend all this time on that <laughs> PHEV. We've got one more vehicle. It's kind of like the new version of an icon that, uh, when it comes, especially when it comes to um, miles per gallon. We're going to save that for just a, a couple of minutes. Let's head over to our lightning round uh, first, where everybody gets kind of a chance to join in something. All right. Inspired by the popularity of Netflix's Drive to Survive series, 100 Days to Indy will follow IndyCar drivers and the drama that happens on and off the track. Airing on the CW Network sometime this spring, do you think this could give IndyCar, that's open wheel racing folks, those of you who don't know what IndyCar is, the exposure they've been looking for? Any comments? It can't help. Can't hurt, rather. I don't can't think hurt. it can hurt. I think um, putting it on the CW network is a very interesting choice because that's cable. And yeah. not a ton of people still have cable. I don't have cable. Do you guys have cable? No. I, I canceled well, it. Well, there are some broadcast uh, stations that do like CW as part of their schedule. They true. So, and who yeah. owns CW? Warner Brothers. Yeah. So, so it's, but these days. I don't know where I'd find it. Uh, it may not be, it's not like being on ABC or mm-hmm. NBC or CBS, but I think the exposure can't hurt because people in this country, with the exception of the Indy 500, mm. really have no clue about the IndyCar series at all. Agreed. Yeah. You know? But that, but that's as close as you're going to get to uh, Formula One here right, all the time. Country, yeah. And, I mean, gosh, if you just, it, getting tickets to Formula One when they come visit here is very expensive. I don't know if you've seen ticket prices for the Vegas ones because they've already started trying to sell tickets for that and it's like thousands of dollars and this is a way to be able to enjoy the sport without having to break the bank. And people don't realize that, you know, the Indianapolis 500 to is, I believe it is the oldest continuous racing series, racing event in the country and it has to be close to that in the world, if not the world. Uh, and every year, everybody makes a big hoopla about it, and it's on all the one of the three major networks, and it's yep. there. And then you don't hear anything else about IndyCar for the next year. 
so I think and, the, and some amazing talent. And a lot of times the talent goes from or at least tries to go from IndyCar to Formula One. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they do. But and so many uh, of the innovations that are actually in the production cars that we all drive today uh, can find their roots in some early IndyCar uh, and Indianapolis 500 machinery. I also think one of the pros of IndyCar is um, that compared to Formula One is that for the most part, those vehicles are all just about the same. Right. And so you don't have one person or or group like running off with a race like Ferrari <laughs> like Red Bull yeah. you know um, so it's a, I think a little bit more competitive in that aspect kind of like how NASCAR is yeah. right yep. um, but yeah I mean I think I think it would be a very good thing for motorsport in the US you guys yeah. haven't said very much yeah, yeah no I mean Do you have thoughts? Uh, yeah I mean like we'll I, know, up and <laughs> I, I know I know the phrase uh, any publicity is good publicity has been tested a lot over the years oh, um, man, to varying effects. Oh, well, I'll get you to it. Um, but one mind. You no, know, I mean I, I agree. I mean it if nothing else, it'll bring more people like to watch it and they might be like, Oh, that's neat. Now I want to go see a race or at least watch it on TV. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean and so many people in this country just think a race is is is, is NASCAR. That's the only yeah. thing they, that's yeah. the only thing they really um, can relate to. Mm-hmm. But a lot more to it in IndyCar. I wish them very good luck with this. Yeah. Uh, our viewer question. Actually, I don't know why we call it viewer question anymore. Our podcast question <laughs> is an email from Anthony. He says, okay, I've heard that more electric cars will have an impact on the auto parts stores, both the brick and mortar ones and the ones online, and that they will likely see a reduction in sales in replacement parts as they go forward. Do you think this is true? And he's talking about replacement parts for gas-powered cars. Mm-hmm. Before I open my mouth, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's sort of, like, I think yes, in the sense that, like, as less gas cars are on the road, there, you know, less people will need the parts for them. I would not be surprised if EV parts are easier to get through service centers and dealerships or their preferred installers because maybe they're more complicated. That being said, though, if there's any left, I think mom and pop stores are the ones that'll suffer more from this. At the end of the day, people are still going to need tools, cleaning supplies, a skull-shaped like shift knobs and stuff. <laughs> like they're still going to buy that stuff. So I think they'll be fine. But yes, I do think we'll see a reduction in replacement parts for gas-powered cars, specifically just because it's a numbers game. Like as more EVs and stuff eventually end up on the road, they will probably sell less parts for ICE. Anybody? Else? You got to have those skull shift knobs, man. Yeah, the novelty, <laughs> uh, license plate frames, and everything. Uh, there's a market. There is. So for me, on this, I say ask me this question again in like 50 years' time because there's still so many. I will know you in 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, anyway, ask me later because there's just still so many, you know, EVs, yeah, while they're becoming more and more predominant within Mm -hmm. automotive there's just still way too many gas-powered vehicles on the road to even question it right now i mean Mm -hmm. oil is ultimately you know one of the big things that they'll they'll always sell and will continue to sell you know but as you know whenever and if the day comes that gas is gas and oil um engines are outlawed um yeah, then we can talk about it then, because then at that point, all businesses would be suffering mm-hmm. more and more and more every single day. Um, 
I'm probably just rambling at this point. <laughs> you, just, you just pulled the magic eight ball, ask me again sometime. <laughs> thanks, Adam. But I liked it. It was a good answer. Much appreciated. <laughs> Jessica, any comment? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously eventually, um, you know, uh, electric cars in many ways are simpler, right, uh, with, with certain parts, but they're also more complicated at the same time, mm -hmm. right? So... I think, you know, in the next few decades, I would say like next two decades, we've seen, you know, a, uh, even automakers seem to have simplified their gas powered lineups, right? Mm -hmm. They share a ton of components. I think like, you know, I say 10 years from now, you have a Honda Civic and you need a new infotainment system. Well, you can just pull one out of a CRV. A CRV. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we're seeing that across the board. So I think, um, I, eventually we'll see, but, but it also will just be an evolution of something else because it's, there's going to be parts that people are going to need for, uh, for cars forever. I think I disagree in a way with, with everybody except Steven, maybe a little bit, because <laughs> there are, and I may have the number wrong. It's either 216 or 260 million internal combustion engine light duty vehicles on the road today. I believe that. Those people mm -hmm. are not going to be giving up those vehicles. Mm -hmm. nope. We've already got the age of the average vehicle on the road today. I think it's up to 12 years. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I would agree with that. I and think it's going to get longer and longer because people are going to say, I can't get what I want maybe in a new vehicle. I don't want to switch over to mm -hmm. all electric. I want something where I can gas up in five minutes and go. So I'm going to be keeping these on the road longer. I mean, I, I'm not sure we'll end up looking like, you know, Cuba, mm. but I can <laughs> see, you know, the the major parts, suspension, uh, transmission, all of that stuff uh, may be enduring a lot longer than it has in the past just to keep some of these mm -hmm. things going. Mm -hmm. And actually, it will be aided by what you brought up in that so many components are shared. And I think that's a great yeah. thing. I think Hell it yeah. simplifies I'm it. Yeah, here's hoping. And right? I also yeah. think that, you know, um, within the next decade, uh, remanufactured parts, refurbished parts, mm -hmm. those are going to be huge. Yes. Um, there are, we're already kind of seeing it now for people who want to keep some, some vehicles and, running. And do it at a reasonable price. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So very good. Thanks, Anthony, for that question. That was a, that was a deep thinker. Mm -hmm. Um, before we get into our rant and rave, we're going to go back to Jessica who has uh, a little something on the latest all new 2023 Drum roll, please. Toyota Prius, the car that really made hybrids uh, popular around the world. So new Prius, is it a big deal? Tell it's, us about it. It's a very big deal because this is sort of a moment in which Toyota is saying this is no longer just a hybrid that we're selling to people who are eco-friendly. Um, you know, they're no longer selling this to or a um, offering this and appealing this to people in a more niche sort of way, this is a vehicle that's going to appeal to everyone. And that was their that was their approach to this. And you can clearly see it with the exterior styling. I mean, it it it's, it's actually handsome. It is very handsome, and uh, like I said, it kind of like is no longer so quirky that it used to be such a quirky looking thing. And I would say the last generation was incredibly oh, I just, unattractive. I thought it was just ugly i'm it, sorry beauty's in the eye of the beholder but okay now it was I but agree. you know so but it's a very big deal because um you know this is built on their next uh, their second gen tnga 
car platform. Um, it is lighter, it is more rigid, and it also has a lower center of gravity, which I took um, it on the highway and I got up to, I would say like 80 miles per hour on mm. the highway. And in the previous gen, you kind of had that sitting on top of the car, sort of feeling that floating feeling a little bit, no longer. Uh, and I was, so I was incredibly impressed, but, um, some big things to note, obviously, uh, lack of power was such a big issue in the previous generation. We, um, now have a bigger engine in it. It's got a two liter I four paired with, um, their new, um, fifth gen hybrid system. That's an additional 75 horsepower from the last generation. And for people that don't know around the world, various places have, um, tax laws that pretty much make it prohibitively expensive to have anything larger than a two liter. So mm -hmm. two liter, that's why you hear almost everything we talk about. It's got a two liter engine in it. So they've taken the internal combustion engine part up about as far as they can, yes. you know, and keep this a mass market vehicle. Yeah. So you're looking at 194 and 196 horsepower. Which makes it very good for even something larger. Yes. And so like um, highway driving was fantastic like it was so much better than before i had no issues merging i will say the cvt in it is still loud that's it's a cvt, it's a CVT. there's nothing more i can really say about that um but it but it was fine and um they're saying that the front wheel drive le base model version can get up to 57 miles per gallon which is really impressive. Um, they are going to do an, an AWD, an all-wheel drive? Yes, um, they yes. do. They have, um, it's about a $1,400 mm -hmm. difference to get all-wheel drive. So they have three trim levels, LE, uh, uh, XLE, and Limited. So super simple. Um, the LE has 17-inch uh, wheels, while the XLE and the Limited have 19-inch wheels which are pretty big yeah, for a Prius. <laughs> because that has to do with rolling resistance. They, they've, they've gentrified the exterior. What about the interior? Interior, um, kind of the same way. It, it's, it has uh, that similar look to the BZ4X. Mm -hmm. um, so very simple but straightforward. Correct. Uh, huge improvements on the last generation, though, because they've moved the instrument cluster, which was kind away of the middle. away from the middle. It's now in front of you. It's super simple, very easy to read. Um, the uh, center stack is also incredibly simple. The infotainment now has uh, the, a large. Uh, it has two screens. One's an eight inch and one's a twelve inch. And it's got the new Toyota um, infotainment system mm -hmm. in it, which is really great. Also, physical climate controls. That was one of my biggest issues with the last one. Oh yeah. Um, it has this. It had this huge vertical screen, mm -hmm. and trying to while you're driving. While you're driving, it's uh, almost impossible. Couldn't it stand was it. Terrible. And then there was we used to have glare issues with that screen. So all in all, like the build quality seemed really great as well. Um, I drove both the all-wheel drive version and the front-wheel drive version, and um, I will say that the front-wheel drive version, I definitely felt like I could hear more um, road noise hmm. in the rear. In the rear. In the rear. Less weight back there. Uh, yes. And huh. and so with the all-wheel drive version, I felt like that was fixed. So to me, if I was going to buy one, I would buy the all-wheel drive one for sure. Um, but basically, uh, pricing-wise, it starts at 
It starts at $28,545, which is a same, I don't know, I kind of steep, but it's a hybrid. So there's that. And it kind of can peak at like 38000 mm-hmm. So um Still a hatchback. Still a hatchback. I couldn't really gauge like the whether like the dimensions really changed all that much like in like. the rear. I think if anything, you might lose a little headroom in the back because of the sloping roof line. Um, but all in all, like incredibly impressive. You know, vehicle. Toyota has um, they've they've been poo-pooing a lot of the EV efforts because they've well, number one, they've got so much invested in hybrids, mm-hmm. but they basically are out to show the world that you don't have to um, go battery electric in order to save uh, the planet. That mm-hmm. you know by basically getting two and a half to three times the fuel economy that you would without a hybrid system, you can do uh, a bigger footprint of, uh, or I should say reduce the carbon footprint more. It's an interesting approach, and uh, I wouldn't count Toyota out uh, at all. I I should mention um, that the Prius uh, hybrids Mm -hmm. should arrive in dealerships in January. And um, any idea when the prime plug in prime should come sometime in the new year, probably closer to the spring. Right. Um, And so we'll have more details on that. I bet they'll work hard to get that um, the EV only range of that up. They we already know that it'll be 50 percent more than the previous generation. So pretty significant. Before we wrap things up, everybody, a rant and rave at all? Anything on any of the new vehicles we've gotten in that just basically you could do without or that you uh, absolutely fell in love with? Anyone? I got something, but it's not pertaining to one of the vehicles we've had lately. So I've been seeing a lot of um, videos on YouTube and online in general of the new BMW i7. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot going on with that car. And... I actually got the chance to see one over the weekend at local Cars and Coffee. Um, just gave it a brief overlook. And I have to raise a question of when does an automaker say, okay, enough technology is enough? And So far, I've never <laughs> we haven't seen that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where one of the big options on that car is on the uh, in the back seat. The it's a $5,000 option. It's like a 31-inch rear screen that drops down. <laughs> yep. And... I'm not saying that it isn't cool, because yeah, it's cool, but all I see as technology adds up within a vehicle down the road, if you are planning on keeping this vehicle for a long period of time and say you don't buy warranty, all I see is things to potentially break and dollar signs adding up. And the fact that electronics often go completely obsolete and you can't get replaced. Exactly. But you have to think, this is, that's the people who are buying an i7. I mean, would an i7 something be like a flagship? It is. Yeah, that's a flagship. And most people will probably lease it for three years and they'll give it back. These are people who have more money than they know what to do with buying some of these cars. So they're not worried about it. Fortunately, I don't think like... Well, well, maybe maybe in 10, 15 years' time, a screen like that might make its way into something like a Tahoe. Save that comment for when we actually get one in. Ten four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good I was going to say, I'm sure we're going to get one sooner than later. Oh, it's so. coming. It's coming. 
All right, everybody, we're going to wrap up this edition. I want to thank uh, everyone, Jessica, Alex, and Stephen, who, uh, for all their um, sage advice and even non-sage advice. Uh, on the technical side, our audio engineer, David Wainwright, who always makes us sound a lot better than we have any right to, our podcast producer, Jessica Ray, right here, and podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our podcast today. And by the way, if you're wondering what time Motor Week can be seen on your local public television, station, go to our website, motorweek.org, click on the tab about the show, then station listings, and enter your zip code for the days and times we air in your area. Or you can hop over to our cable partner, MavTV at mavtv.com for their schedule. They show us several times a week. You can also stream Motor Week episodes for free on your mobile device or your streaming box by downloading the PBS app that's available at your device's app store or the streaming channel library for things like Roku and such. All of the individual road tests and feature segments are also available at youtube.com slash motorweek, along with our retro review mm -hmm. marathons. In other words, if you got a screen, you can watch Motor Week. Until <laughs> next time, I'm John Davis. For all of us here, thanks for being a part of Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil, Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper, and TireRack.com.